Hello, and welcome to Public Key, the new podcast from Chainalysis. This is your host, Ian Andrews. There's a common saying among crypto enthusiasts that in the future, all companies will be crypto companies. My guest today provides some early evidence of that trend. I'm joined by Alan Dragulo, who's head of product at ProSegur Crypto. He shares the story of ProSegur's move to build a sophisticated crypto custody offering within their market-leading cash management and security business. We also discuss crypto adoption in Europe and Latin America, and how the variations in regulatory approach create complexity for companies who operate globally. Finally, if I didn't see you in person at the Chainalysis Links conference in New York City, I have good news. You can find the links to video recordings of all the amazing content in our show notes. Today, I'm joined by Alan Dragulo. Did I get that right, Alan? Yes. It's not so easy to say correctly, so congrats. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us today, Alan. You are Managing Director of Crypto in Spain for ProSegur. Another tricky name for me to pronounce. <laughs> I've been practicing that one over the weekend in anticipation of the record. You did really well. So, All right. I get a high five then. We can still be friends. I didn't, I didn't butcher your last name or the name of the company. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm super excited for this episode. We've been eager to get a global perspective on crypto on the show. I think you've not only been in crypto for a long time, but your, your role is a pretty exciting one. So we're going to unpack all of that on the episode today. But I'd love to start with our guest's crypto origin story. Maybe, <laughs> maybe start by telling us, you know, when did you first hear about, learn about, get excited about cryptocurrency? Okay, so I was studying a master in business intelligence and big data. And I saw an article in Forbes from Bernard Mar about Ethereum. And it blew my mind because I saw what Ethereum was bringing to the industry I called two of my best friends and I said to them, guys, this is it. This is the future. We need to stop working at whatever what we are doing right now. And we need to focus only on Ethereum. So, so I decided to, to build a company with one of them. And, and we started to, to get into this technology, industry, infrastructure, wherever you want to say it. Because at the end of the day, what we found was that there was a lot of problems about the mass adoption. Uh, the people knew on that time, not many people knew, but there was a lot of people in the industry. And yeah, we saw an opportunity there and I, I got in love with, with the cryptocurrencies and all the ecosystem. That's amazing. What, what year was this? 2016. 16. So very early. So it was one year after the launch of Ethereum. So they were really new on the on this ecosystem and they said that. I, I need to, to tell the truth about this, but I was one of the of the people that got hacked with the DAO. So, so I lived that situation really, really bad, but I learned a lot and I saw how the community react to that. So it uh, encouraged me even more to keep going with the, with the crypto ecosystem. That's amazing. When you read that first story in Forbes and you, you dove into Ethereum, what got you excited? What was the thing that stood out to you that said, this is the future? The reality was the decentralized autonomous organizations, okay? The DAOs on that time, for me, was a, a change in my mind. I come from the business administration background. So I, I was all the time saying to, to my partners and to my colleagues that I didn't like the way that the companies were working with the M-shaped model where there was a huge hierarchy there. So I was all the time trying to move to a Google model or something like that. And when I saw the decentralized or the DAOs, I saw the future. I, I thought about it. 
what it uh, encouraged me more than anything was the smart contract. I saw a huge potential in the smart contract and especially on the financial ecosystem. I saw that the, the financial know that were really traditional and with this we imagine a change and we are really living this change. So <laughs> I was glad to, to bet on that. I think it has a lot of parallels to my own experience. I think when I first started looking at crypto, which was much more recently than you, the landscape of altcoins was very confusing to me. It didn't look exciting. I saw a lot of kind of Ponzi scams and fraud happening in that area. A lot of people promoting coins that really had no no purpose. There was no utility to it. But once I started to understand the programmability of Ethereum via smart contracts, it suddenly clicked and made a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, it was almost the same. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was exactly the same because I saw, yeah, a lot of projects on that time. There were a lot of. It was the ICOs moment. Yeah, and and there was a lot of projects. I didn't understand why they were rising a lot of money, but yeah, yeah, the fundamentals were the good ones. Well, and and so maybe fast forward a little bit. How how did you end up at Prosegur? <laughs> and you know, maybe even give a little background on the company because I I was surprised to learn as we were researching the episode. This is a huge organization, probably not familiar to many of our listeners in the North American market, but massive global company. Yeah, we're a massive global company. We are in 26 countries. We have hundreds of thousands of uh, employees. The reality that uh, I got into Prosegur because I, as I said, I had my, my company and I was doing a consultancy service there. Prosegur, I spoke with the managing team on that moment that they were really great. They are really great on that moment too. Yeah, we understand each other very, very good. They offered me the possibility to get into the company as a head of product. And it was a a situation really amazing for me because there was no possibility to me to say no because it was to get into the crypto space within a traditional company. Just to, to let you know to all the people that that doesn't know Prosegur, we, even that we are hundreds of thousands of employees, we are really focused on security. We are the, the competitors of Brinks in, in, in United States. And what we do, it's the movement of physical assets and money. We, we secure that. Also, we have alarms. We are on Forex. We are really innovating a lot on the, on the last years. And one of the innovations was the, the, the crypto space within the company. So it was a... A great opportunity for me. I, I love this story. Our, our CEO at Chainalysis, Michael Groninger, is fond of saying, you know, in the future, all companies will be crypto companies. Exactly. Right? Which is which exactly. is sort of a, it's a takeoff on, you know, an old an old saying that in the future, all companies will be internet companies. It's just going to be a, a default part of the technology stack, right? Exactly. Exactly. For uh, us, it was a, a natural path because we were securing physical assets to move to digital assets was something, you know, that felt really natural in that moment. Well, and, and maybe describe a little bit about the offering. Like what does Prosegur do for uh, your customers in the area of crypto specifically? Well, as I said, we are experts on security. We have more than 40 years of experience. And here the reality is that we already have infrastructures. So we have the physical infrastructures. We have 24-7 armed guards, we have uh, big walls, we have a lot of uh, vaults around the world. So all that part that is the physical uh, security of the assets, we have it. And on top of that, we buy the license of, uh, of a provider, that's the GK8. So the, it's, it's a public information and, and you could know about them. Right now they are Celsius. And what we got was their amazing vault 
where you could transact with the blockchain and within the blockchain without connection with internet. Um, this is something really different from what is on the market. So what we decided was to combine those features that we have. The possibility to transact on the blockchain without an internet connection covered by all of our infrastructure. So we are giving our customers, I won't say 100% security because that doesn't exist, but we have a 99% security level on our systems. So this is something that we are offering a way to protect their uh, assets from a digital perspective, internet perspective and physical perspective. So this is exactly what we what we offer to them. And also we do it in a way that we ensure them uh, an easy path to manage their crypto. So it's not only the security, but also that they could manage their digital assets really simple, easy, fast and without too, too many interactions and without waiting too much. Even that the main core uh, innovation that we offer is our cold storage. That's amazing. And I would imagine many of your customers around the world are, are financial institutions, right? They're looking to you to both store and transport real world assets, right? Either money or, or other probably high value goods. You've basically brought that same mentality into the world of digital assets, high security, high protection. Yeah, I, I love it. I think it makes so much sense. We see a lot of uh, situations right now in the last years where the people steals the private keys of the of the users or of the owners and they got access to the funds so on that sense we are often offering this protection plus the digital one so this is where we found a, an advantage against our competitors it's a necessary service right as we're growing this ecosystem bringing more and more of traditional finance into the world of digital assets and cryptocurrency, right? The technology, the service offering that you've built seems 100% necessary. I'm curious, you're in Spain. I think you're in Barcelona or Madrid? Madrid. Madrid. I haven't, uh, I don't have a great perspective on the, on the landscape of cryptocurrency adoption in Spain. I hear from our team who's on the ground there that it's picking up. It seems like interest is accelerating. I'd love to get your perspective as somebody who's living in Madrid. What does it look like when you talk about cryptocurrency? Is there a large community of adopters there? Yes, we we have a large adoption. We have right now, if if not wrong, between 10 and 12% of the population here in, in Spain, they are using cryptocurrencies. I don't know if this is uh, exactly or not correct or not. So <laughs> take it, take it uh, as I said. And we have a huge community here in Madrid, also in Spain. So it's going bigger and bigger. There are some exchanges that are doing a great job in the in the ecosystem, trying to move the the Spanish brand outside of Spain. Also with companies as Prosegur and other banks that are investing a lot in cryptos and showing the brand on an open way. Okay, so we really move the Spanish brand. And also there is a lot of people working on the ecosystem that they are starting, but there is a huge amount of startups that are growing a lot that they are starting here in Spain. So I think this um, it's a big ecosystem. Of course, we cannot compare to, to the States because it's a different mentality and a different number of people that live uh, here. But uh, on proportion, we have a big community. The most important thing that I think from, from our community is the commitment. We have a really committed community and we have people that have been in the industry since the beginning. So, so it's, it's quite amazing. 
I know from previous companies that there's a huge technical enthusiasm in Spain, right? At my last company, we had a big engineering uh, outpost in Spain, I think down in Valencia, actually. So the technical depth is there. I'm curious a little bit about the regulatory climate, right? So what is what is the world of traditional finance and the government think about crypto? We have right now the, the CMV that is like the SEC in the States that uh, launched some regulations that all the custodians, exchanges, etc., and, and crypto players should uh, have a certain kind of license, but at least to, to be registered. And if you don't have this registered, you cannot be part of this game, to say it in a way. And also, we are waiting for Mika, okay? The, the European regulation, we are waiting for the implementation of Mika. I see that the regulatory bodies here in Spain are, are waiting for that, but they really participate on the on the decision making we have a lot of institutions and private companies working together with the government in order to clarify the regulations so when it arrives that we don't find on a situation where we don't understand or that we cannot commit to to the regulation i think that is a huge change on the on the mentality that we have uh, about cryptos and even that I've been here for, for many years, I, I think it's many years on the industry. Of course, there is a lot of people with much more experience than me. But I think that the game changer will be the regulation. I think that to have regulation on the crypto space will change the way that we understand cryptos, the way that the people understand crypto. And it's the movement to, to mass adoption. I think that we are doing it correctly here in Spain. I'm waiting to see how we are going to integrate it because uh, usually, and this is something that all the people knows, in Spain it takes us a little bit longer than in the States, at least to, to implement the, the new regulation. But I think that we are going to on a correct path and that the financial institutions, the traditional ones, are also waiting for this to start launching the, their own products. Yeah, I think that's been a recurring theme on this show is that good regulation is necessary to support adoption, right? Like no no one wants to be in a position where they've invested in something that they thought was something else, right? The transparency around what actually is the asset or the product or the service that I'm putting my hard-earned dollars into is something I think we can all agree on is fair. I also think for people building businesses, you want that clarity around what are the rules of operating, right? What information do I need to provide to the regulators? How are they going to judge the the quality and safety of my business? Like those, those sort of baselines, I think everybody in the crypto industry is looking for. It'll make it safer for the investors. It'll make it safer for people like uh, like you building companies in the space because we, we've got clarity. We can make long-term bets because we know how the system is going to work, right? Yes. And also here in Spain, we had some bad experience about what happened in the past with the regulation of the more, let's say, traditional financial systems. There was a lot of problems with investors that didn't know about different products where, in, where they invest. And it was a huge problem for all the for all the banking system here in Spain. So we learned about that and we learned the, the lesson. And now we are moving to, to a new, more regulated system, but with a good regulation where all of the of the players understand what is happening here. So I think, yeah, we, we are moving on the on the correct path. And also we, we have some internal insights because our main customers are financial institutions. So we understand that these institutions are also relying on this uh, regulation and looking forward for this regulation. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that that's going to be a tipping point for a lot of traditional banks. Like I would imagine, you know, an organization like Santander, they have a huge business that has nothing to do with digital assets or cryptocurrency today. As they approach the space, you know, they want to know that they're not putting at risk the core business to move into this area of innovation. I, you know, the, there's, I would assume, a very conservative approach to anything new. We are right now working a lot with financial institutions. It's, it's publicly that, that you could see it publicly. BBVA launched cryptocurrencies acceptance in, in Switzerland. So they are really moving forward. Uh, sometimes they're also with the bonds in Ethereum. And we are speaking with a lot of financial institutions, a lot of banking, a lot of banks that they are moving forward to implement this uh, security and custody that we offer because they want to offer uh, cryptocurrencies and exchange services to their own uh, clients. But the problem that they have is where to custody the money and how not to put in danger their core system or the core business value. Because again, as we saw with big exchanges in the United States, that they said, okay, if we need to spend this money to, to prevent to fall on the... On, on our shares, we will do it or we need to do it. And this is something from the regulation. On our case, it's completely different because we are only custodians. So the people know that their funds are protected and that we are not going to spend them on another kind of things. Also, we are a regulated uh, organization. So so we must comply with all these kind of uh, uh, measures that, the, that Mika will bring. Yeah, I think that the banks are moving forward slowly, but they are moving forward. So they know where they want to be, but they are waiting for this new regulation to, to help them to choose what, what to do and how to do it. You've mentioned uh, Mika a few times, the markets in crypto assets regulation that I think is at a, a proposal stage right now in front of the EU bureaucracy, I guess I would call it. Can you maybe give us a little more detail on that? I'm guessing some of our listeners probably in, in North America and Asian markets may be uh, not so familiar. Maybe a layman's perspective on this, because I know you're not a regulatory expert yourself, but... I'd, I'd love just kind of an on-the-ground idea of what is this thing? What, what is it attempting to do? Okay, so first of all, if there is a new regulator, please forgive me. Don't come, <laughs> Don't come for me. And well, the reality here is to regulate all the crypto custody players slash custody on the digital assets slash on the exchanges and all the crypto players. Okay, so on my case and... What I know more because it, it affects me personally on, on my work, it's about the, the custody. They will apply to have a license to be a custodian. Um, to be this custodian on the system, you need to comply with some regulation that is more about security, about the quantity of money that you manage, the way that you transact, how many transfers do you do, the, of course, the KYC that you have on top of your customers. Okay, so to, to know them, to avoid any kind of AML, so it's, it's measures of AML. Then we have also for exchanges, so they are specifying what are the, the rules that they must comply and confront in order to offer their services. So one of the main topics here is to obtain a license. So you need to be a regulated crypto custodian. So on that sense, uh, it implies to have some uh, requests or to have some, let's say, properties or features within your system and of course on the on the physical side too so this is what we are waiting because for example for financial institutions it is not 100 clear 
if they could be their own custodians or if they are going to need a third party. So this could change a lot. And the main idea is to regulate the crypto space. So what they are launching are different regulations and measures in order to, to avoid any kind of gray areas within the, the crypto space that is where, where we are now, where we find that all the people is not trying to, to avoid the regulation, but they don't know exactly what to do and how to do it. So I think this is a, a clarifying text about how we need to, to interact and operate within the, the crypto ecosystem if we want to be part of the formal side of the, of the coin or of the cryptos. And I would imagine something that, that governs EU-wide would generally be good for your company because you're operating on a global basis. So getting some standardization across the, the EU region would, would be easier than having each member state implement you know, varying levels of rulemaking. Exactly. Within our roadmap, right now we are we are obtaining the German license. In Germany, they launched also um, a regulation for custodians. We are getting that license right now. So we are going to be one of the first custodians uh, or the European custodians to get this uh, license that operates worldwide. But of course, the, the license is specifically for Germany and for German customers. But the main idea here for us, it's to be prepared as exactly what you said, is to have the European regulation, comply all of this in all the countries that we that we are working. And of course, it's not the same to be regulated only in one part or only one country and start a new license each time than having something that it's for everyone. Of course, at least within the European Union, and we hope that all the other countries outside of the European Union will follow more or less the same kind of regulations and requests for us. So, so to be 100% compliant. We have the same challenge here in the States where we've got some federal level regulatory authority, but we also then have different states implementing variations of that. And in fact, you know, New York probably most famously created the bit license, which is, which is even more strenuous in terms of the regulation. So it, I know uh, in chatting with, with many of our, our peers in the industry, this kind of overlapping uh, regulatory framework, it's a big burden to get started for a lot of companies. And, and in some cases, they just choose not to operate in certain markets, right? We've seen a number of organizations actually decide to avoid New York as a place where they even offer, offer services. Yeah, it's, it's a problem. We, we are providers here in Spain, but of course we could provide to, to, to American customers. So this is an advantage for us because it was a, a huge problem if we wanted to open our own custody there. We, we thought about it again because of the regulation and, and the idea of being 100% compliant since the beginning. But we saw that we could do it from Spain and to still be compliant with the European regulation and with, let's say, the law that, that applies to us. But of course, it's, it's something that we are seeing and that we hope to have at least one uh, same regulation for all of the people. Because at the end of the day, if we have so many differences, of course, uh, I totally understand the difference between the states and the European Union and that we have some differences between its uh, zone and the other one. But of course, the main idea would be to, to, to be able to have a similar regulation to in all the areas so we could provide our services. And exactly what you said, that we maybe need to choose not to offer our service in some countries. It's something that we don't want to confront. And of course, we are also opening our offering to LATAM. So it's also some places where we are really strong as a prosecure brand. And where we are moving, because we see that the regulation is going to move almost the same as here in Europe or that we expect that. Of course, it's going to take a little bit longer because they are 
planning each of them what to do. But the, the main idea for us is also to move into LATAM because we see there that there is a huge market and it, uh, we could offer our, our compliance service there. So we, we expect not to find the situation that you said before, not to be able to offer our, our services there. It seems like Latin America is in some ways moving ahead of Europe and the United States. I, I was talking to a gentleman from a company called Hextrust at our Lynx conference a couple of weeks back. He was telling me about uh, his firm has built a couple of exchange traded products, which so far have yet to really find legal footing in the United States. But they, they've actually been in operation for uh, quite some time in Brazil. And I think they've launched in Switzerland now. You know, fascinating how quickly the Latin American market seems to be developing. I think we, we saw the same thing because we are working a lot, not only on the crypto space, but also on the fintech side. And we see that LATAM is moving really fast. It's like they jump a, a complete generation. So there is a lot of things that we are not thinking about it and they are doing it. This is why we see a huge potential market for our services. Of course, there is another thing that is the, the inflation rates in South America. Usually it's higher than, than in Europe, in some of the countries. So they also use these cryptos to prevent and to, to fight against inflation. They must custody their funds and keep them. So they are hodlers <laughs> in the huge and great sense because they saw a huge opportunity there and they understand if they if they change it for their national currency, they are losing value. So what we saw there is that they need a protection of funds. And on top of that, there is a lot of, uh, what you, as you said before, a lot of new services that's been creating there because they are used to work with this money. That is something that in Europe we are not so used to. They are creating new services, markets, standards, etc. that are working really great. I think it's a great case study for the utility of dollar-backed stablecoins. Yes. If you're in an environment faced with huge inflationary pressure and you're hoping to earn a low-risk yield, some of these asset-backed uh, stablecoins seem like an ideal currency to hold and, in fact, solve some of the traditional like cross, cross-border remittances problems as well. Yes, it's one of the main topics that, that we saw. And one of our partners is Silo. They are working, it's a, it's a protocol and the alliance, and they are working on that. And we really love what they are doing because they are working a lot with remittances and the way that it works is exactly what you say, that here the fees to send money from Europe to, to Latin, it's really expensive. Of course, on the contrary, the same. The possibility to use cryptos opens a new window and a new market for, for all of these services. That, that provide these kind of remittances, also promoting the idea of, let's say, a transaction through the phone. And we love that idea. And on our case, as ProSegur, we also provide wallet services, but it's the, the cash or the ATMs for the traditional tenders. On that tenders, they are also storing money. So the main idea that we have on our mind is to offer to these people the possibility to work directly with cryptocurrencies. So to accept cryptocurrencies on their tenders, giving the possibility to the users to send money from one side to another one on an easy way using, of course, our, our systems. Because we are right now there and we have installed a lot of ATMs that are internal ATMs, of course, not as a banking system, but it's the internal ATM where the tenders save and store their money in order to, when they receive a lot of quantity of money, they put it there and then the truck arrives 
I'm moving to, to a safe place. But on that moment, they could change it to, to cryptocurrencies. And this is something that we that we have on our minds. And it's the next generation of <laughs> ProSegur crypto together with ProSegur Cash. That's amazing. I mean, it, it really goes back to the thing we were talking about earlier with this idea of programmable money. You know, what got you and I excited about Ethereum in the first place is like it's we're finally at this kind of uh, digital transformation or modernization moment of the financial system. I, I think it's incredibly powerful. I don't think I could let you leave without talking about this stunt that uh, that your company pulled off recently. I think it was it was at the Madrid Open tennis tournament. The dog, right? The dog, the canine dog, yes. It's, well, the reality, it's it's not part of the ProSegur crypto space yet, okay? We, I will try to convince my <laughs> my managers and my boss to, to do it. But I think this um, this represents the reality of ProSegur. Uh, I must say that even that we are a traditional organization, we have a lot of help from the top management that uh, are really innovating right now and that makes us really easy our job and on that sense about the dog it was a, a test but it worked really great so and it makes a lot of advertisements and you know it, it makes a lot of noise but the the main idea behind that dog it was the um, artificial intelligence that it used and to show the improvement within the the house but i think it was a a great way to show to the people that we are really innovating so i know that in the states we are not so well known but in europe we are we are a bit uh, stronger to say it on a way i think that we are changing the way that the people see us because we are uh, right now an innovative company and we are moving forward to to innovate and to show our our strength on that sense and I think that there is no better way to show it than this dog that is <laughs> quite amazing. And of course, yellow, that it was the <laughs> huge <laughs> thing about it because we didn't want it to, to hide it. That's right. As a company that's brought our mascot, Waffles the dog, to trade shows before, I can, I can attest that uh, there's nothing better to build a brand than to have a dog that people compose with. In in your case, the dog never gets tired, and it and it offers a little bit more security to the event, so it's perfect. Exactly, it's it's, complete, it's perfect. It has everything that it needs. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, Alan, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an enlightening episode. I really loved it. Talk to you soon. Okay, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Public Key. We're releasing new ones weekly, so if you liked what you heard, then don't forget to subscribe, review, and share. Here's something to think about while you wait for our next episode. 11 years ago this month, June 2011, Bitcoin hit its first bubble, running all the way up to $31, before ultimately falling back down to single digits. It would take a little more than two years before Bitcoin crossed the $1,000 mark. Finally, don't forget to check out all the great content from the Chainalysis Links Conference. You can find the links to the recordings in the show notes.